If you take a look in your bulletin, you will find a study guide for this morning. And if you would please take it out, that will be helpful for you. While you're getting it out, let me make a disclaimer. Uh, you're already chuckling. You know what this disclaimer is about, don't you? Despite what you might have heard, despite what you might have thought, Randy Travis is not the inspiration of this discussion today. In fact, I had totally forgotten about that song until I happened to mention Wednesday evening that uh, uh, our topic was digging up bones today. And um, Hank Wells came after the service. He said, are you going to play the song to, to introduce it? And, uh, and then this morning, Cody Downey wrote me a text. said, hey, you've got to use that song when you introduce this. And, um, and now that that song will be in your head through the rest of the day, uh, let's get to something even more important than that song, believe it or not. Uh, while Randy Travis is not the inspiration, the Apostle Paul is. He, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, worked to bring us this passage. Today we're looking at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. We're going to begin by reading the first four verses. If you will, take a look at your study guide. You'll see them listed at the top of your sheet. He says... If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. There are three things that jump out at us in this very first part of the first verse that need to be discussed before we move further into our study today. And that first of all is what he says at the beginning, if then. It could look as if it was a question, or are you really, are you wondering, or what's going on? But actually it's an assumption. I'm talking here to people who are part of the family of God. He's assuming that these are part of the family of God. He's talked to them before in the first two chapters leading into this. And he says, if then, or as it were, since you are raised with Christ, since this is reality. So he's making the assumption that he's talking to people who are part of the family of God. He continues that thought in the second aspect that we need to discuss before we move further. When he uses the word raised, you are raised with Christ. You are raised with Christ. In other words, there is an indication that there was death before this. In fact, that is exactly what Paul tells us in other passages of scriptures. You were dead in trespasses and in sin. There was death to those who were not part of the family of God. We're not talking about a physical death. That would certainly be strange. It would lower the number to whom this would apply. If he's saying you've got to be dead and then come back to life physically, we're not talking about that obviously. But we're talking about a spiritual death. Those who are without Jesus Christ are in spiritual death, spiritual darkness. There is no eternal life for them. But those on the other side who are in Christ are those who have been granted eternal life, have been infused with life from Almighty God. And therefore, their forgiveness is sure, eternity is sure for them. The third part of this now, the third thing we need to discuss before we get into the heart of our study is what this life was created to be. If he infused us with life, brought us to life, gave us life at the moment of our salvation, he did not save us in order for us to be uh, people who live in failure, 
who live in fear, but people who live in power and in victory. And that's what God saved us to be. He saved us to be people who live in power and in victory. That's what he gave us life to be. People who have life toward victory and power in Almighty God. That's what God intended for us. Now the problem comes in. In that most of us do not live in spiritual victory. Most of us do not live in the power of Almighty God in our life. In fact, what we find ourselves incapable of doing is finding a way to overcome that sin that so easily ensnares us. It trips us up so easily. Paul talked about that. He talked about what a problem it was for us in our lives. And we are living in failure. We look at this and we say, Paul is saying we're supposed to have victory and we're supposed to have power, but yet the result of my life, walking with Christ, cannot be claimed to be power and cannot be claimed to be victory. I seem to be failing over and over and over again. Now, I don't believe that that's the way most of us want to live our lives. I don't believe that most of us want to live our lives in failure. I don't believe that most of us want to, to live a life that's classified by a certain sin or a certain thing that tra trips us up and ensnares us. But I think we truly want to be people who live in victory. I think we want to be people who have the power of God upon us. So how do we get that? The blessing from this passage is that Paul doesn't leave us hanging. It's not that he says, okay, here's what Christian life should look like. It should be power. It should be victorious. And, and now go figure out how to make that happen. But in fact, the Apostle Paul walks us through the process of making that reality in our lives. How do we move from what we consider to be failure in our Christian life to living in victory in our Christian lives? That's where our thoughts are going today. In fact, there are two things that I want you to see that I believe will sum up the rest of the passage very well. Number one, if you're ready to write, this goes on your study guide. Because of our life in Christ, we should develop things of eternal value. Because of our life in Christ, we should develop things of eternal value. Eternal value. He tells us in the second part of verse 1 and then verse 2, he says, Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. Now Paul's leading us down a path here and he's letting us know that there are things that we're trying to do in our lives to accomplish spiritual success that will never get us there. Things such as... Uh, 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 mechanical religious routines. And some of us have in our thoughts and in our minds that if I can just live up to other people's expectations, if I can just, if I can just be there and, and, and let everybody see me doing it, then somehow that's going to equate to spiritual success in my life. And the problem is religion will never equate to spiritual success in your life. Never. Others think, well, if I can achieve a lot of things in this world, if somehow I can gain a lot, I can gain influence, I can gain power, I can gain prestige, I can gain friends, if I can get all of these things, then certainly it's going to equate to spiritual success in my life. And the problem is that that will never, ever bring it. Never. And so we step back and we wonder, okay, well, if that's not going to bring it, then what really is the secret? 
If you were going to add something to your notes, this would be a really good thing to add because here's the secret to it. The secret is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, the secret to moral and spiritual victory is found in a oneness with your leader. It's found in a oneness with your leader. In other words, the deeper the unity, the deeper the relationship, the deeper the walk, the stronger I grow in my relationship with Jesus Christ, the more likely I am to overcome these things that trip me up. Not that I won't slip and fall from time to time, but I will look back over my life and I will say, thank God I'm not where I should be, but praise God I'm not where I was. Uh, not thank God I'm not where I should be. Thank God I'm not where I was. He's brought me to a place. He's grown me. He's matured me. He's developed me beyond where I was. I see that as I look back. And the closer I get in unity with God, the more I know about Him, the more I develop my relationship with Him, the stronger these aspects become, the stronger my desire is to follow Him. And so, what do I do? I engage His Word. I dig into His Word. I want to know His Word because in His Word, it shows me the reality of what I've lived in in my past and it shows me the reality of what I have to look forward to in my future. And when you begin to compare the two, logically, spiritually, you begin to compare the two, you begin to see through the Word of God that what I used to have does not compare to what I am working toward, to what God is bringing me to someday in glory. So then it makes it possible for me to adapt my thinking. It makes me, it possible for me to transform my way of thought to where now all of a sudden I'm not looking at what I used to have and thinking how important it is to me and how much I wish I was still able to do those things. But now all of a sudden I'm seeing it for what it really is. It's a path that leads me to death and destruction. I see it as something that is destructive. And I begin to look on the other side at what I have waiting for me in eternity and the abundant life that God gives me here. And all of a sudden I can begin to seek those things which are above. I can be able to set my heart and my thoughts and my attention on things that are above because there's where my future lies. And so he says, don't be so set on what you have in this world. Don't allow it to control you. Don't allow it to overwhelm your thoughts. Don't allow it to grip you and drag you into it. But see it for what it is. It simply is a tool. It's a means by which we use to accomplish that which is of eternal value for God Almighty. And so I really believe an important question to ask. As we make our way through this process, beginning to seek the things of God, to beginning to seek the things that are eternal in nature, the things that are above, I think an important question to ask is, okay, well, how does what I'm thinking, what I'm saying, and what I'm doing affect my eternity? Now, you think about it. Tomorrow... When we're not in here together, it's a little easier to behave the way we're supposed to when we're in here. 
But tomorrow when we're away from the church, when we're on our own, when our thoughts are rambling and our mouths are too, what if we just paused in that moment to say, how does what I'm doing affect my eternity? And I tell you what might also grab our attention is to say something to the effect of, how does what I'm thinking or saying or doing affect my family's eternity? How does it affect my friends, my neighbors, my co-workers, my co-students? How does it affect others? Because it is true that, that we can be a light to lead people to Jesus Christ, or we can certainly be a darkness that drives them away. It is true that I can claim to be a Christian on Sunday and people who know that I've claimed that will look at me later on in the week and will say, if that's what it's all about, I don't really know that that's what I'm interested in. So he says, if you want to live in spiritual victory, if you want to have spiritual success, you want to have the power of God upon your life, then what I'm looking for from you is to set your heart and set your mind on things which are above. It's an important thing. Did you know that this is the antidote to temptation? It's the antidote to temptation. Because when my heart is set on these things, I'm naturally drawn to it. But when my heart is set on kingdom things, when my heart is set on on things that are of eternal value, then all of a sudden these things begin to dim in my view. They begin to dim in my heart. Not that I won't run back to them from time to time, but I begin to see things in a whole new light. The transformation of my thought process has made these things so much more important for me. And it allows me the opportunity to escape the things of the world. He carries us forward in verses 3 and 4. He says, for you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Let me just stop for a second. Because if you just read that without knowing the context of what he's discussing, you would think, well, there's some contradictions going on here. Uh, first of all, he tells us that we've been raised with Christ. That which was dead was infused with life. We've been raised with Christ. And then he says, you have died. And so then is it the case that God infused us with life, he gave us life so that we would end up dying? Did you know that's exactly what he intends? He intends for us to be infused with life, to set our heart and our affections on things above, and to die to that which is behind. To die to those things that we used to be in the past. To die to those things that ensnare us and trip us up. To literally put them to death, as we will see in just a few minutes. And the interesting thing is that as we do that, as we set our heart and our affections, we begin to be nourished by Christ Himself through the Holy Spirit. And we begin to grow and we begin to develop in our spiritual lives, in our Christian maturity. It's kind of like a branch on a, on a tree. You go out in our woods around here and uh, you'll see the tree limbs growing out of the base of the tree. And you know that the tree limbs are being nourished uh, from the base. It's drawing 
nutrients up through it and into the tree limbs, and that's why they're alive. But you break one of those tree limbs off and you throw it aside and exactly what you expect to happen begins to happen. That limb that no longer is connected to the base, it's no longer connected to its life source, begins to dry up and it begins to die. Same is true for us in our spiritual lives. As people who have been infused with life, that life flows freely through the Holy Spirit in our lives and we grow and we develop and we mature but if we determine that we're gonna step away from that we're gonna pull away from the base we're gonna make ourselves go back into these things that we used to be we're gonna focus on something other than things of eternal value we're gonna focus on what the world has to offer we're gonna indulge the flesh and all of a sudden we pulled away from the life source we're not talking here about a loss of salvation, but we are talking about a loss of nourishment to where exactly what happens, what you would expect to happen, that we begin to shrivel up and we begin to die as Christians. We no longer have the influence. We no longer have the power. We no longer have the victory we used to have because we've taken our eyes off of what is really significant and what is really important and we've placed them on things that will bring us into disgrace and will bring us into destruction. And so he gives us very clear direction. Because of your life in Christ, develop things of eternal value. If you want to live in spiritual success and victory, you must set your sights and your heart and your desires on things of eternal value. He then takes us to the second step. Now understand this, this, the way this works because the first part of this is a positive that leads to a positive. The second part of this is a negative that interestingly leads to a positive. Okay, so you go from positive to positive to negative that somehow turns around even though it doesn't figure out in mathematical equations exactly the way it is in the spiritual life. He takes us into something that's negative to bring about something that's incredibly positive in our lives. So what is that? He says because, number two, because of our death with Christ we should exterminate things of destructive value. Because of our death with Christ, we should exterminate things of destructive value. He tells us in verses 5 through 10. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator renewed in knowledge once again we go back to making the word of God priority in our lives renewed in knowledge the renewal of the mind the renewal of the thoughts come through the word of God so we engage the scriptures we make it a priority in our lives 
Here in these verses, he gives us a, a, certainly a, a non-all-inclusive list of things that we must literally exterminate from our lives. I mean, just like the exterminator comes to your house and sprays poison to kill the roaches and the other insects that you do not want in your house, the same is true for us spiritually. There are things that we must engage in order to put these things to death in our lives. And these are the very things which we talked about last week. Jesus, the Messiah, willingly came to the earth and lifted up off of us, placed on himself, and carried them to the cross. Now let me tell you, our sin, our sorrow, our grief, our shame, our pain, was nailed to the cross with Jesus. And at the moment we come to salvation, it applies to our lives to where it's gone. It's dead to us. And these things that are dead to us should never have a voice in our lives. But now here's the problem. We're kind of like the little boy I read about recently. This little guy had a pet. It was a bunny rabbit. And it was his favorite pet in the whole wide world. The story goes, and I'm not sure if it's a true story or if it's a made-up story. It's a pretty good illustration either way. But the story goes that this was his best friend. If you asked him who your best friend, it was his bunny rabbit. And if you asked him what he did with his bunny rabbit, he, he hung out with his bunny rabbit all day. They, they talked together. They played together. They ate together. They slept together. They were best friends. But then one day, just like pets have a tendency to, die, to do, this bunny rabbit died. And the little boy was so distraught. I mean, he was having a really tough time with this. The family trying to do whatever they could. They thought, okay, well, we'll make a big deal out of, out of his, his, his funeral. And they took him out to the edge of the back of their property where woods were and went into the woods a little bit. And they dug this grave and they placed the bunny rabbit in him. And they talked over the grave. And they, they told about what a good friend the bunny rabbit was. And they just really spent time talking about this bunny rabbit friend of their son. They covered up the grave and they put a headstone that said, Rest in peace, little bunny rabbit. <laughs> For days, the little boy was just, he was motionless. He would sit on the couch in the living room. He wouldn't talk. He wouldn't, didn't really want to eat. and Didn't even want to watch TV. Mom and Dad were greatly concerned about him and they just wondered, well, you know, when is this going to end? When is this grief going to pass? When is he going to start getting back to normal? A couple of days after this process started, his mom came into the living room where he typically sat, and she saw that he wasn't there, and she was a little bit excited at first. Maybe, maybe it's, it's over. <laughs> she started looking through the house and didn't find him in the house, and then that excitement turned to a concern because... He didn't typically leave the house to go outside without telling her. And she thought to herself, where could he have gone? And then it dawned on her, maybe he's gone down to the 
to the graveside of his little bunny. So she made her way through the backyard toward the grave, and sure enough, as she neared the tree line, she could see her son there at the grave, the little bunny rabbit. She was a little bit relieved. She thought, well, maybe this is a healthy thing until she got a little closer and she saw what he was doing. Because the little boy started digging in the grave and pulling up the dead carcass of this rabbit. And when he got it out, he started giving mouth-to-mouth resuscitation to that rabbit. Now, while that's a pretty sad story... It also bears a very close resemblance to what happens in our spiritual lives. Because we have these things that have been nailed to the cross with Christ. They're dead. They no longer have a place in our lives. And yet what happens so many times is we do not focus on those things of eternal value. And we set our thoughts and our hearts on other things of the world. These things are dead, but instead of allowing to lay dead, we get into the grave and we start digging. And we start digging up the bones. And literally what we're doing is mouth to mouth with something that's been dead in our lives. What should have remained dormant, what should have stayed dead, we've dug up and we've resuscitated it. What a disgusting, disgusting thought. There's no way to live in spiritual victory. There's no way to have God's power in our lives when we keep digging up bones. We keep digging up those things that are disgusting. The very things that sent Jesus Christ to the cross of Calvary. So he says you've got to put them to death. You've got to exterminate them. He lays out a list of some of the things that need to be removed. Obviously, it's not an inclusive list. But he says sexual immorality has got to be put to death. Now, there's a place for sex. And it's within the boundaries of marriage between a man and a woman. That is God's chosen place for sex to occur. But when you get outside of that boundary, it becomes sexual immorality. And God says, you've got to put these things to death. You can never become success in your spiritual life as long as that's going on. He says, put to death impurity or flagrant sinfulness. Put to death passion, which is an an openness to sin. Just to want to be curious about it, to see what's going on. And he continues the thought with evil desires because... It then carries this passion of just seeing an openness to what's taking place. Just want to know a little bit more about it until where it becomes an unrestrained passion to where we begin to carry out what we used to just want to see. And then covetousness, idolatry, never satisfied, always wanting more. Do you see how it's impossible for us to set our hearts and our minds and our attention on things above, things of eternal value, when these things are controlling us? You see, the problem is when we resurrect these things, when we bring them back to life, and when we begin to put them back in control in our lives, then all of a sudden we've got this chaos going on inside. 
Because now, at the moment of our salvation, the Spirit of God lives within us. And the Spirit of God is seeking control, seeking to lead and direct our steps. But now, all of a sudden, we've introduced something else into our lives that also wants control. And there's this battle going on inside of us. So then it comes down to where they're going to be the walking dead. Because we brought things back to life that should have never been back to life. Or we're going to stop resuscitating these things. And we're going to put to death the things that we've already resuscitated. So that we can begin to focus on what's important. So that we can stay connected to the, to the base. To the life. To the nourishment. If we don't put them to death... They will eventually get us. The Bible talks about, in fact, in this passage, how these things bring the wrath of God. And we know the wrath of God is reserved for those who are not part of God's family. We also know that those who are part of God's family, for those of us who have been born into the family of God through the sacrifice Jesus Christ made on the cross of Calvary, we know that God begins to chastise. He begins to discipline us. When we leave the base and we begin to pursue these other things, God sees where that's taking us. It's taking us down a road that leads to death and destruction. And God's not willing for us to continue down that path. He begins to discipline us to bring us back to the base. Because without the base, we shrivel and we die. He brings us back to the place where he wants us to understand the importance of eternal things. He wants us to get into our minds the value of that which is eternal and begin to see that this is destructive. Destructive for us personally, destructive for our families. So he says you've got to put these things to death to kill them. To that, he adds a list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, lying. All of these things. We won't go into them because of time. They're fairly self-explanatory. These things have no place in the life of a child of God. Why? Because of what he says in verse 10. You are a new creation. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. They passed away. Let them stay dead. But resurrecting them. Stop digging up the bones of things that cause Jesus Christ to have to suffer on the cross of Calvary. So as we look at this information, what do we do with it? Here's two things I wish you'd write down before you put your notes up. These are what I just call the take-homes. Here's what I want to take home with me from this study today. And here are things that I want to apply and put into practice in my life so that I can, in fact, have spiritual power and spiritual victory in this life. And so what are they? Well, number one, we must start acting and thinking eternally. We must start acting and thinking eternally eternally. I wish you'd also write this question down beside it. The question I asked earlier, I think it's so important that in everything we do, everything we think, that we ask ourselves the question, how is this thought, how is this action, how are these words going to affect my eternity? 
with the understanding that when we ask ourselves how will it affect our eternity, that we also are thinking in our minds, how is it going to affect my families, friends, co-workers, co-students, neighbors, what have you? Is this a thought that's going to positively impact me and others for eternity? Is this an action that's going to be uh, looked upon well and others are going to see it and think, wow, or is it going to be like we saw in the skit earlier? Well, God's in my box. No one else is going to know. I'll be as ruthless as I want to be. So number one, we must start acting and thinking eternally. Number two, we must put to death those things of no eternal value. We must put to death those things of no eternal value. Those things that trip us up so easily. We get into the Word of God. We find out how destructive they really are. And we begin to turn our attention to things of greater value, greater significance. So that we are not continually drawn back to the same old stuff. So then I think a good concluding question would be this. Are you living in spiritual victory? Are you living in spiritual victory? Would you take a second? You don't have to tell anybody else. I don't even want to know your answer unless you just want to tell me. But would you answer that for yourself? Are you living in spiritual victory? If not then God's given us a directive today, a very clear directive, that we've got to transform our thinking. And we've got to start seeking Him above what this world has to offer.